Good evening. Welcome to Three Moves Ahead. And I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, back in the captain's chair for the first time in a very long time. First, a bit of an apology for the slow rate of podcast production the last month or so. Uh, it's been a very busy time, as I'm sure all of you uh, know, uh, professionally, personally and professionally for a lot of the podcast uh, folks. So uh, we still appreciate your support, and hopefully we can get some production going quite quickly uh, this month to make up for the lost time. We intend to seize the means of production. Yes, we are so far behind that we are now talking about a game from 1994. <laughs> we are talking about uh, Simtex's Master of Magic, produced by Simtex, uh, by... Yes, uh, Steve Barcia, who was also the the uh, guy behind uh, Master of Orion and 1830 and a bunch of other classic strategy titles in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, mostly the early 90s. It has recently been re-released by our friends at Slytherin.com. Uh, it is still the same uh, 1990s version, with a new version, there's a new a user-made uh, version as well to go alongside it. So you get Master of Magic and Caster of Magic, which is a modified version of the game alongside. Uh, so we're going to take this opportunity uh, to go back into the past and talk about this classic strategy game and its legacy and how it holds up. With me are two of our favorite panelists, freelance writer Rowan Geyser. Hello. And freelance writer John Bolding. Howdy. Now, both of you were too young to play this when it first came out. Lies. You were five. You're all children. This is... You, who do you think I am, Troy? Do you think I'm TJ? You're, well, you're still, like, you're ten years younger than me, dude. Right? At least. Uh, I'm 39. Yeah, you're, it's like, look, so you're nine years younger than me. Okay. <laughs> and I was... I was 13 when this game came out. Do you think that 13-year-old... Do you think that 13-year-old <laughs> Rowan would have been interested in a fantasy strategy game built on the civilization concept? Like, I don't know if 13-year-old would have been interested in 13-year-old Rowan is probably watching a whole lot of Star Trek and just waiting for Babylon 5 to come out. I, uh, so we're going to start... God, no. That's the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start with you, John. Uh, why don't you first describe what Master of Magic is? Not a lot of people might have remember it, or if they do remember it, they might have one of the vaguest memories. Explain how Master of Magic works. Master of Magic is an intensely ambitious for its time fantasy 4X strategy game where you are a novice initiate wizard and you rule over like a little isolated hamlet in a fantasy world, and you are going to spread and conquer the world and explore its depths and become the most powerful wizard that there is. Before we really get started, I will have to say the system requirements for this are pretty intense. Uh, you need an 8386SX processor or better. Um, so that's something that's, you know, 300. 33 megahertz or faster. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, you need at least 575 kilobytes of free conventional memory, but you do need 2.7 megs of uh, of EMS um, and something that can run VGA graphics, and you will need a mouse. So how how much room does it take on the hard drive? I think it's just I think it's just 575 kilobytes. No. 
But this game's at least two or three megs. Anyway, anyway, there's God. there's digital speech in the intro. It's true, there is, and it's it rules actually. This intro still is still good after all these <laughs> years. So, Master of Magic has this sort of basic concept where you're going to gather up units in little stacks of I think nine, um, and you'll have a, you can have heroes, and uh, so you have this layer of the game that is the conventional recruiting of standard military units from your towns and uh building putting them in little armies then layered on top of that you have your wizard who has all kinds of magic spells and is going to cast spells that change both the world and mid-battle spells that change the battlefield as well as on top of all of that spells that summon new units you have this second layer of units right um which is customized based on what magic your wizard is good at and then finally you have a layer of wandering heroes who are sort of your dungeons and dragons adventurer types who will offer up their services to you uh depending on how famous and powerful your wizard is as time goes on and they will also then join your armies and need to be paid um and have their own sort of level of power that's separate from normal units and magical uh units a key thing here is that this is built on the what if civilization but you know, Master of Orion was what if civilization, but science fiction. This is what if civilization, but fantasy. So anyone who played the original civilization, because this is pre-Civ 2, uh, will be able to look at this at a glance and see, oh, I get what they're trying to do here. Um, the things that you're talking about are sort of the ways that it diverges, that having multiple right. units in a stack um, that are actually like an army instead of just piled on top of one another. Um and, of course, the spells as your core form of research instead of uh, technological research. Right. Um, and one other thing, you mentioned that it was a fantasy world, but it's actually two fantasy worlds. There's it an totally underground is. with evil things inside Near of it. or yes. the alternate plane. <laughs> yes. And uh, that is one of those things that's extremely ambitious for this game. Yeah, it is. It's really... Uh... I think it's an interesting game. It has a lot of fascinating ideas, some of which haven't shown up a lot since this game was released, and some of which are going to be intensely familiar. Um, if you've played uh, like Ill Winters games, if you played uh, Dominions, any of those, those wouldn't exist without Master of Magic, right? Yeah, we'll get into some of the spiritual sequels because there, there are, I think, of three or four top by the top different aspects of this design Absolutely. and pushed it, yeah. and pushed it forward. Uh, and also, I don't. There's, I mean, this is a game that broke one of Sid Meier's core rules, which is it has tactical combat. It has yep. battles. You lead your army. It's not a stack versus a stack. You go down and you actually fight the battle between the units, something we would see in the Call to Power Civilization games and, of course, in the Endless uh, Legend uh, games and you know, Total War uh, as well. Um, but in the early night, and you know, one of Sid Meier's big rules was, oh, you don't want the player doing that in a forex because it distracts and gets gets in the way. Where I think and Sid was right, putting that on a t-shirt. <laughs> you read about a lot of things. There are, there are some stuff with the battles that I really like. Hope we get into those, but also a lot of stuff that just gets in the way of uh, the game. And I think one reason why I don't have a whole lot of super fond memories of this game, though a lot of other people do. So Rowan, you went back and you've, we, we all went back uh, the last couple of weeks and played some of this. Uh, how long had it been since you played Master of Magic and what did it feel like going back? Anything surprised you? Anything you forgot? Well, 
I don't remember if or when I stopped playing it. Um, I don't, I don't think I have played it significantly in the past 20 years. Uh, It is in that early nineties, not quite at a point that's super accessible. Like when you start getting games after super VGA graphics, after like full mouse control, uh, a little more interface, um, I don't know, stability convenience, uh, like that, those sorts of games are a lot more replayable than the, the pre 94 one or pre 95, 96 ones. So this is one that I feel like even if the core game design was better than, you know, uh, age of wonders was probably the next big wannabe. Um, and that was like 99 or 2000. Um, but they're probably just the convenience of playing something like that makes it very hard to go back to Master of Magic, which doesn't mean that it doesn't have really interesting things going on in it. Um, as John said, it's piling all these interesting ideas together, some of which work and some of which don't. Um, I do remember that I generally liked this game, um, and it does have that kind of Pantheon level you know, strategy game appeal, though maybe a bit below a Civilization or a Master of Orion 2. But it's also very much a mess. And (laughs) I don't think I ever, like, said, I totally love this game. Nothing will ever compare to this in my memory. Like, it's just, yeah, I I had some fun with that back in the day. Um, It's still very fondly remembered by a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those games that... People really will like to see, oh, I want to have another version of this. And I, I never quite understood that. But all, people also want Victoria 3. And I don't understand that either. Oh, wow. Uh, Special paradox gossip buried in the... No, I've, everyone knows that Victoria is the series that I that bounced, I bounced the hardest stuff of all of the paradox uh, series. Um, that's Congrats to Sengoku. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, that's, that, that's, that's not a series. That's a one-off. <laughs> Uh, or is it? Uh, so, have, <laughs> so, but this is a game that a lot of people look fondly back on, and it's. I went back and I played it, and there's stuff that I mean, I the design your custom wizard at the beginning. There's your dominions thing going on right there. Now you can yep. do. You can't do this the easy level. The easy level, you just you know pick from the roster of uh, ethnic stereotypes of, of, of fantasy portraits. You know you have got Merlin and you've got your barbarian lady and you got your uh, naked African sorceress and you got your Norse troll thing or whatever. Um, Guy that's a dragon. Have, yeah, yeah. You all these different fantasy archetypes, images at least, and they all have different strengths and weaknesses. But uh, the real fun goes into the normal difficulty and higher you can customize and build your own wizard. You can choose for all, you can't have a new portrait if you have one of the generic portraits, but you can decide, well, I want to focus on life magic, or I want to be a fireball casting chaos monster, or what have you. And this determines where your strengths are. The spells you can research the quickest, the ones you have access to, uh, what your spell books will look like. Um, and that's kind of it's an interesting way to make it for you to explore all of the different magics you want to explore like in one go. Uh, because the, the, the more spell books you have in a certain field, it really does make things a lot faster and easier for you in that discipline, but it does open you up to a bunch of other weaknesses and spells you can't use. Um, so having this, this super specialization in your character design is 
kind of neat. With the counter, the AIs just really can't handle all this stuff. Yeah, I, I think that if you're putting this game into historical context, this is one of the first big strategy games that really lets you yep. get into that nitty gritty, both in the idea of you are in charge of designing these things. Another big one is that regardless of whether you take an existing wizard or you build your own, you also choose what race you're starting with. Yep. Um, right. And that affects like the strategic considerations that you make at the beginning of the game. And then eventually, you know, bigger ones later, but like a knoll is going to have higher population growth than an high elf um and you know you make the decisions about which advantages you want where yeah um when you're looking at the other games of this era like there is pretty much nothing like this like you get the sort of unique choices for that we expect now from strategy games with something like master of orion where each race plays very differently mm-hmm. um but civilization, all the civilizations were basically the same. You look at a game like Warlords and like starting positions are different, but uh, you don't really have that much customization about who you are. Right. Um, so this this begins a major trend in strategy games. Oh, I don't know if it begins it, but it helps popularize it. Well, it's it's um, the year after Master of Orion, right? Like right. It's one year later. Um, right. And it does, I think, I personally think it takes some way more drastic changes than Master of Orion does with yeah. its, with yeah, its basic units. Like, if you're playing, say, the Lizardmen in this game, they literally can't build 75% of the building tech tree, right? Um, they are limited to super low technology, and so all your strategy has to revolve around early military rushes and spreading quickly and cementing this position for you to dig in and hold until you can meet a victory condition. Yeah, and so you you look at this, this spreads into real-time strategy games when you look at um, Age of Empires, which has each of their uh, civilizations has, like, different building constraints or not. Um, and, of course, StarCraft would go wild with this. Um, and then just the idea of customization becomes this huge thing in f- especially fantasy and science fiction uh strategy games in general where the idea is not just that you take control of one thing and you're kind of dealing with it it's that you have to have full control over every part of your uh army you have to have you know spaceship customization or unit customization for the fantasy games or you're creating your own wizard instead of being provided with the unique wizards like this is this is a trend that you can trace back to master of magic and in some ways it's better than many of the things that came after because I feel like it sort of knew what it was trying to do with this, even if it couldn't quite achieve it, where some of the others seem like they're doing it out of obligation. But I think our listeners probably know how we feel about excessive customization at this point. (laughs) Oh, wow. I I think one of the things that a lot of people going back to this game will find surprising, though, is that customization. You don't think of this era of games being about like, wow, I'm going to create a set of interesting constraints for myself and then role play that. It's a lot of the same entertainment that people get out of a lot of modern games. And they think of something as extensive as that I'm going to customize and then role play as an aspect of more modern strategy games as opposed to something this old. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons it's so fondly remembered because this really does come out of like peak person to person tabletop role playing era of games. Um, and it, you can tell if you play this and you're like a D&D person, you can really tell uh, there is a lot of just straight up 
rip tropes and characters and monsters and concepts and things like that in this game from the sort of 90s Dragonlance era of D&D. And this really does, uh, I think, lean more, you're right, into the role, into the role-playing. You're playing a fantasy character than either Master of Orion or Civ does. And Civ, you, like Rowan said, the nations are pretty much interchangeable, except for the city names. And maybe the Babylonians would have started with an extra settler. Uh, but beyond that, there's not a whole lot of distinction. You play different races in Master of Orion, but you're not really telling the story about the ant people or the robot people or the potato people. The Master of Magic, there is this, because it does have, it is in a fantasy world, there is kind of a sense that you are this magic avatar, because the spells are cast either by your magic units in the battle, because in a battle, you can have magic users, you can have shamans, you can have wizards, whatever, fighting in the battles. Right. But there's also you as the godlike player who can intervene and cast spells uh, on the map and on the units. So there are these very, so you are, you are active in everything that's going on in the world. You are taking ownership of it in a special kind of way, I think, uh, that doesn't quite translate in the same way as commanding a starship and just telling where his laser should go. Uh, well, yeah. that, that's how I feel. There's something about the way the game is built, how it's structured, even though it, one of my issues with it is um, there's a lot of terms where nothing happens. Yeah, that was a thing are. that I was surprised by. This is very much not like Civ and not like Moo, where it really does have that, you know, one more turn, one more turn, there's always another cookie, uh, the Skinner box thing uh, going on for you in uh, those games. There really isn't in uh, Master of Magic. And I'm kind of trying to figure out well, what's missing, because these games are functionally and mechanically not perfectly interchangeable um, and because there are so many more things going on in Master of Magic you might think well this means there are more things to put your fingers on um, but it does not that way at all it takes you know 30 turns to build a barracks and you got to build housing for the first like 20 turns otherwise you won't get anything going at all because your cities can't won't have enough food to support anything and a lot of the early exploration, like the 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 the, the, the goody hut, is a good old solid civ tradition. The goody huts in Master of Magic are eighty percent of the time occupied by ghouls, basilisks, and other things. So you find that out, pull your soldier back, and then you have to wait to build an army to clean out the goody hut. So there's a lot of roaming around, but not actually doing anything. Uh, which kind of surprised me because I don't remember the game being this idle. Yeah, um, I, uh, I hit multiple times while playing where I was like, I guess I'm just going to click end turn five times in a row. Like, and, unless the enemy popped up to do something, that's exactly what you would go and do. And I found that really almost like soothing. I think the game <laughs> emphasizes long term planning over turn-to-turn decision-making in a way that like modern civs do where it's like okay you're going to set up your empire to win in this way and master of magic wants you to do the same thing um and in that way it's a hard game to get into the big thing that i noticed and i did not get super deep into playing this because i got distracted by the new three kingdoms expansion um and also you know the world be gone fire uh the big thing that i noticed is that the early game is like 
how did we put up with this? Um, (laughs) Like you start with two units and you can send those units out to explore together or individually. And you see all these like little goody huts. And then like a few turns later, you're probably going to get a hero and you try to put these things together and you walk into a dungeon and it's like the dungeon has some fire elementals. Do you want to try to explore it? And you click yes. And then they're all gone. Everything's just dead. And it's like, I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to be able to judge these things. It's, uh, I, like, even Civilization Goody Huts didn't just, like, remove your unit if you happen to lose a dice roll, which is pretty much every dice roll in this. Like, it's just a very strange thing where we put up with a lot because this was the only game of its type. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. There's just, there's a really harsh learning curve where it's like, yeah, don't, the game's going to ask you if you want to do stuff like, do you want to explore the forest glade? There might be some fairies. Just fucking don't, because those fairies are going to kill everything you hold dear. Yeah, there, there are no friendly encounters. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, there's diplomacy, uh, if you meet like other proper civs. Um, and there are neutral cities. But the only thing you can do with the neutral cities is conquer them. Um, and if you don't want to waste your time building settlers or a very cramped map... Maybe better off taking out a neutral city. But again, the neutral cities are heavily armed. These they're fairly well defended. Uh, they will right. have. Uh, they're not just things you can walk into. They'll have like a bunch of pikemen or something. Um, nothing too serious. If you get to, you know, turn fifty or sixty, you can take them out fairly easily if you get a hero. But uh, the map could put you on a very tough spot where you can't expand uh, unless you conquer conquer some of these. Uh, neutral places and there's no way to interact with them in a peaceful way you can't you or even in a mildly threatening way you can't extort them they're just sitting there and you can conquer them which for the lizard men is a very good and solid strategy uh for the barbarians as well since they are a race that doesn't do well with magic they can build all the stuff but they don't they have very low magic reserves so those two races are good with you know just take out everything in their path but even the diplomacy, it's kind of well, it kind of plays into the whole um, uh, role playing side, right? Only one wizard can stand. Well, only like one like arch wizard, one dominant right. player, like the master in, of magic, even. Yeah, that that would be a great name for it. Uh, like you would find in like Warlock or in Dominions, the idea that there's one uh, winner. Um, so diplomacy is relatively shallow, but that's, that again is very typical of the time, though. Uh, diplomacy was quite shallow, Master of Orion's diplomacy was quite shallow, so that's not a knock against uh, Master, of, Master of Magic necessarily, except there aren't very many peaceful opportunities. You can't trade maps. Uh, you can trade spells, right? Um, which is kind of neat. Uh, I'll show you my, my grimoire if you show me yours. Uh, but beyond that, there's the resources are just gold and food and magic. Uh, you can't you can swap some of those around. Gold, I accumulated a lot of gold. Is there an inflation problem in like in Magic area or whatever it's called, Magic Land, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the Magic feel, Kingdom, Disney World? I, I feel like it also kind of depends on which race you were playing. Could be. Sure. Yeah. But uh, I, I never had a problem with gold. I always had a problem with food. Food seemed to be an issue more than gold. I think it depends on who you're playing. Like if you're the yep. horde of ant men, you're not really ever going to run out of food because you want to constantly expand. But right. if you're the high elves, 
you're also not going to run out of food because they don't believe in sex. They only believe in reading. But if you're the wow, barbarians, like yeah, I'm a, I'm a high elf. But if you're the hobbits or whatever, you're also not going <laughs> to wait. Wait. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I never had a problem with food. Now that I think okay, about the, it, the okay, gnolls I, have a problem with food. Okay. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of it is. One of the early game tricks, and it's a kind of a problem uh, in a lot of a lot of learning a lot of games, in going back to that is realizing, okay, all my units don't just cost money; they cost food. There's an upkeep cost to heroes, for example, and mercenaries. Uh, but all your soldiers, every army you build has a food upkeep as well. So you can't end your even though your army stacks are capped at nine. Which is very disappointing. It's really small. Yeah, it, it, it looks big at that resolution. Then you get into a battle and you realize this is a really tiny army and I can't summon anything till one of these losers dies. But that's nine, that can be up to nine food that you have to be producing through granaries or changing uh, citizen specialists back into farmers. Because uh, it does a whole city specialist thing that both Moo and Siv did as well. So going back to the city management, this is a very boring 4X stuff to be worrying about in a game that's about controlling the laws of physics and transforming the landscape and controlling fire elementals and golems. And a lot of the game is very mundane. Yeah, you're not wrong. There's, this, there's the not layer this is a bad of like... Thing. I'm just saying it's, you know, a thing. Yeah, no, there's a mundane economic component to this game that, like, Dominions doesn't care about. Dominions is like, build temples or don't build temples. That's the only thing economically that matters. Let's recruit some manticores and go kill elves. Um, but Master of Magic is like, well, you may want to consider playing the dwarves because you're going to be filthy rich, right? And that's important. So... Let's talk about what the magic system and the magic world is trying to have you believe in, and the planes and uh, the like. Do you guys lean to certain types of magic? Are you a chaos guy, John? I, you know, I am a chaos guy. Because you like the and fire. I'm, you like the hellhounds. You know what I specifically like? I like find very entertaining spells and effects in 4X games that fundamentally screw up the way the world looks in huh. some interesting way and and that's what it is about for for it, example in this game there is a spell there chaos has a spell to like raise a volcano from the ground right which is cool and fun and volcanoes give you specific kinds of of magic power and it's useful for casting more spells they also have a spell called armageddon which is an incredibly expensive spell to cast um, and then maintain after you've cast it but what it does is it just starts randomly raising volcanoes all around the entire map in your opponent's territory and will actually eventually convert most of the world into uh, volcanoes and dormant volcanoes. And it is deeply entertaining to me and very funny to just ruin the world. And I don't, you know, that doesn't say anything about me as a person, I'm sure, but still, no, I think that is some of the most interesting stuff in this sort of fantasy 4X game is allowing you to alter the fundamental shape of what this world looks like and how you can mess with it. Um, I just, I found that really interesting. Which does sort of connect this to uh, 
some of the other weird strategy games going on around this time, like Populous. Right. I'm I'm a nature person. I just want to be a hippie bitch who lives in the woods. <laughs> yeah, that, that tended to be the way that I would go with this game, both in the past and playing it now. I like what I think she's Freya in this was the mm-hmm. is the default yeah. nature one. And like I don't know, I even played Alpha Centauri that way. I can't tell you why exactly. Maybe I just like green. I think one of the things I thought was cool about this game, and this is just like a very minor fantasy tropes thing, was that nature's like the generic magic. It's like the baseline of magic systems in this one. It's not special, specialized or best at any one thing, but it has so it has a little bit of everything in it. And I, I thought that was pretty cool to point out that like the life magic or whatever wasn't the generic magic. It's actually super specialized and only good at a couple things as opposed to uh, the nature magic, which does everything. What about you, Troy? What magic did you like the most? Oh, I'm a chaos guy. I, I, okay. just, like, I just like fire. I like to burn you just, things. You just like to watch the world burn. I, I just, I, I, fire spells just have this like aura of power, right? And given how little power I have in my life, uh, I just like the idea of the hellhounds are actually really good units. They're really good early units. They're uh, very good. Yeah. They're compared to like the fire elementals kind of trash. Uh, but the, the hellhounds are, are, are very good. Uh, they got good speed, good strength for clearing out uh, goody huts with monsters or getting rid of cheap armies. Uh, they're a very nice shield for your uh, archers. Um, and they're good to summon uh, when you have some space. I'm, so I, I kind of like the Hellhounds and the Chaos. Um, what else is there? There's the life magic's kind of cool. You know, if you want to be like super hippie. Uh, Wait, so there's life and nature? There is nature and life, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. then I probably meant life. Well, then nature Were you summoning I mean, angels or bears? Oh, oh, the life is the white one? Yeah. Yes. La- okay. The la- life is like. God. Yeah. No. No. I, I do it's, recall. It, it, I do recall liking that one, and I think yeah, I liked the alchemy when I used to play it. I didn't play the okay. alchemy much this time, but yeah, I never I do got recall. much. Into, I never got much out, but it's really focused on like economy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I never found that very interesting. Another interesting thing about this game, while well, putting yeah. it into context again, is that it might be the first 4x game to have like the alternate. Uh, win condition other than um, conquest or diplomacy. No, because the original Civ had the... the uh, yeah, so that's not quite true. But it does have the, the you do your research and you cast a spell that makes you win um, thing and sort of further develops the idea of uh, these alternate conditions that, you know, by now we see them as like grand strategy games have like eight different ways to win every time you play and you can you can see that development with this and you know build build towards this across the entire game in the way that John said like um that this this sort of prefaces the the long-term planning of the modern civilization specifically yeah you're absolutely right um and it it's funny to just to have seen that in this old of a game, right? I yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why it seems so funny to me. But like, I think of everything made before two thousand as just being like, yeah, it's a game where you kill everything, and if you don't kill everything, you've lost. 
Old man, you seek the spell of mastery. Yes, the solidly <laughs> a, one of the best pre two thousand video game uh, intro cinematics. It's like right up there with the StarCraft ones, I think. Okay, so the thing I think I saw in this that I found most uh, interesting as a concept that doesn't show up in a lot of later games is conquering someone else's civilization, right? Going and taking a city from someone else. It does not magically become a civilization or city of your type. It's still a city of their type. And I thought that this was really interesting. And I wondered sort of where it went for so long. Because even now in other 4X games, it's pretty rare to see something like this. Because I guess uh, faction um, specialization and ideas have have channeled into such specificity that the game balance gets thrown off if suddenly you're playing as one group and you have access to the entire other group's units. But this game doesn't care, right? Like if I'm playing as the humans and I go conquer an orc town, it's still an orc town. Human population can start appearing there, but it's an orc town and it makes orc units. Um, and I I found that absolutely fascinating. And I didn't know what y'all's experience with it was. Um, any specific things? That's a good question. I, I feel like that's a really interesting thing, especially for um, science fiction and fantasy strategy games, because they do have this, I don't know, this kind of racial unity in a lot of them where, uh, you know, you conquer a planet and suddenly it's your race. And that's really weird in a lot of ways. Right. Um and like some games try to try to deal with that with like various populations. I think Endless Space does a pretty good job of that. Uh, but like this is we talked about how the like unique civilizations aspect and the customization aspect of this game were uh, kind of this was a major game in pushing them forward. But in some ways, the customization aspect of it makes it more flexible in being able to provide these things, right? Because you're not playing the orcs with the orc mage as the only thing. You are playing as a wizard who happens to have an orc city and then might happen to have a human city. So right. that flexibility of the customization here works really well for that. And like that is one of the ways where this game its successors didn't necessarily like follow up with that quite so well, or they decided to go with the unique component of it in a way that made the uh, flexibility a little less powerful and, or not necessarily powerful, a little less flexible. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The the, the whole game became a little less able to handle, you know, multicultural or multi, whatever multi-dimensional, aspects of uh how the customization would work yeah I mean, this is the kind of thing that can, like, like it really only happens in a certain kind of game games where there are unique uh where unique races have unique units or unique abilities yes um, and they come with them by nature of their culture not because of their king so i mean in like civ 3 and civ 4 you could conquer a greek city and its population would still be greek and that would lead to some issues they don't do that in five and six, but they did in three and four. Um, eventually, their culture would change, but it would, like, it would, they would they would add to the discontent because they'd be a different culture. But it didn't give you Greek units; it just gave you Greeks you had to control. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like Age of Wonders you could keep 
the cities of other groups, but you could only like you could only like fully convert them over time if you wanted to, yeah. and you'd, you would be penalized. So it was like either entirely halfling or entirely goblin, um, and you could have both and try to you know manage all that. But yeah, that that was a more a more set in stone system. That is, and yet there haven't been a lot of. I mean, Dominions doesn't do that, does it? No, it absolutely doesn't. It's and, sort of and, like, yeah. and, and Elemental didn't do that, as I recall. No, I don't think so. So yeah, we're kind of. That is an. That is. I mean, you only have nine units in an army anyway. So how often are you going to use that when you're filling it up with golems and hellhounds? Not uh, not that often, and but uh, I think the place that it becomes most interesting is in stuff like um, there's a diplomacy system where certain races get along with certain other races. Like if yeah. you're the high, like the dark elves, no one likes. Literally, no one likes the dark elves. So the dark elves have no reason not to just actually exterminate every member of every other race they come across. Right. Whereas uh, literally everyone likes the halflings. The halflings get along with absolutely every other species so if you're playing as the halflings you can have this sprawling multi-species empire right except for the ant people who arrived in this game directly from master of orion <laughs> the clackons um and it it's this, weird this, this, and this is earlier time. in their history sure like, yeah medieval clackons <laughs> it, it all makes sense now so we're saying that canonically the clackons win i think that must i think that's the only legal conclusion to draw unless we're implying that these clackons are somehow stranded here that's true there could be a colony ship somewhere and sort of just overhead there's a vast interstellar war happening there we go so let's talk a bit about uh, the legacy of master right we talked about some of the design issues that some went forward some didn't uh and where the game fits in its context because you know the early early to mid 90s uh, it's kind of the golden age of uh, strategy games. It was 1985 to 1995. That's the 10-year span when the genre, I think, sees the explosion of really great original ideas. Uh, and then we have the last uh, 30 years. What, uh, what do you have before 1990 other than like Defender of the Crown, your favorite game? Uh, oh, you have a bunch of stuff. You have Seven Cities of Gold. You have Mule. Uh, okay. those, are all, those are all earlier than, 80, than 85, <laughs> even, I think. Uh, but you have, a, you have a lot, you, there's a lot of stuff going on in the 80s. I'm going to write some stuff. I'm not, I'm not going to promise I'm going to write some stuff, but, but I have, yeah. written, some, <laughs> yeah. but I, I have do, written some things. Do a blog post, Troy. I, I have written some things in the past about that about uh, the games uh, before 1990. Uh, but yeah, and things really do get going, though, in, in the late 80s uh, with SimCity and then up to 95. Uh, and this fits right in there uh, in the 94-95 era, uh, where it's heavily influenced by Civ and Populous and all the other stuff that's going on. Since then, the, 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 the people have always wanted, oh, make me a new Master of Orion. When there's a new Master of Orion every two goddamn years, there's always a new Space Forex coming out, many of them building either explicitly or implicitly on uh, the Civ Mu model. Uh, so every time everyone asks for a new uh, Master of Orion, I say, well, look around you. I mean, just go on Steam, you'll find a bunch. Sure. Master of Magic, for the fantasy 4X genre, there are a few, and a few of prominence, 
of take different things. We've mentioned a couple of them. Uh, Dominions is uh, probably the the best of them. Uh, that even it takes you know, some weird stuff uh, and other, <laughs> and also does some other things. So let's talk a bit about the legacy in its sequels. Like why? First, why? I mean, people love fantasy. People like magic. People like wizards. Uh, why has the fantasy stuff been kind of lower level in activity than the science fiction stuff? Any theories there? I mean, I have a few. The first is just that it didn't have a sequel for whatever reason. When people talk about redoing Master of Orion, they talk really about redoing Master of Orion 2. Now, Master of Orion 1 was great, very fondly remembered, and like it's, I, I think it was actually a better game than Master of Orion 2. But if I go back and play them, which one am I playing? I'm playing 2. Why am I playing 2? It came out in 1996. The graphics are significantly better. The customization is existing and smart and fun. And uh, the interface makes a hell of a lot more sense. It's not anywhere near as clumsy as this or Master of Orion 1. It's just a way easier game to play. Um, And so the fact that Master of Magic didn't actually get that maybe means that, in people's minds at least, a lot of its ideas did not get... um, solidified baked in that said i do think that we do have a lot of masters of magic um really not quite as many as uh the uh explosion of moose but um i mean we have age of wonders which has gone off of that since we have dominions we have elemental which had you know the good one in fallen enchantress we have endless legend those are like four major strategy games or series that are built on a model that you know you have a kind of civilization style fantasy strategy game with tactical comp well dominions is a little weird but dominions is a little weird at everything but specifically with tactical combat on its own separate scale of the game but i mean look at um uh, and it doesn't have a lot of magic. Right. It doesn't have that sort of customizable uh, avatar layer. I mean, it's, right? it's, I, a master, it's a master of magic. You've got to have magic in the game, otherwise, that the player can use. Otherwise, it doesn't count. I, I mean, that is a reasonably fair thing to say, but I don't think that, like, just looking at the games, you would say these are very different genres. You would say that well, this is I, this I, I is getting at a similar thing in a different way. Like, that's a, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy sieve. I mean, but that's not. But it's not a master of magic game. Like, I, I mean, the closest we have in the sieve genre would be uh, Fall from Heaven, the sieve four mod. Well, but even that even didn't have like a whole lot of on. The board magic, but was clearly inspired in the way it designed its factions uh, and the way it had its nodes, the uh, spell nodes sort of things. Uh, but I mean, the, yeah, the, 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 uh, the three biggest, I think, would be Dominions, of course, Elemental, and, and, and then we have Warlock, uh, which is uh, which, I, I, two games of those. Age, Age of mind. Wonders is by far the most. Age of I, Wonders is super close to it. Yeah. The, the original Age of Wonders. It's um, been the big so difference is right. the big differences between Age of Wonders and Master of Magic is that Age of Wonders was a lot more story centered, both in right. terms of just like general. Here are the really core things about each of our races and so on. Yeah. yeah. And also that it had a campaign, which could be the only way that you played the game, and certainly was for me. Um, but it 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 even went. 
you know, in its sequel to having that like mirror plane or the underground world or whatever it is um, that was just oh, it like did. And it had it had, it had magic no, nodes. No. It had magic nodes. It had magic nodes as well. Yeah. The, no, the first but, one had the underground and the above ground, and the second one had the underground, above ground, and an alternate plane. So it was right. it was super into that. I mean, um, I, I remember. So I remember playing this game on like a CD, a burned CD full of games that someone had given me, right? Um, to get working and. I remember um, that there was, I mean, there was a sequel and it was in the last decade. It was a spiritual sequel that was kickstarted and I can't remember the name. Um, Worlds of Magic, right? And it was supposed to just be Master of Magic again in so many ways. And it was roundly despised. And I wonder, I wonder what, what someone would need to do to properly bring this back. And I, I wonder if it's a, a sort of lost chance at this point right like you could maybe make something with procedural generation that would make this idea work well again but it's entirely possible that this is just too weird and niche a concept for mainstream game development and it's going to have to be left to the ill winter designs of the world to just make the strange game where you can be a floating uh space snake with godlike powers or what have you well, I think that, you know, the, the second major thing that I would say prevented this from being fully baked in is that, like, fantasy is different from space. Um, really? Yeah, and, like, it's easy to say, you know, this is Mass of Orion, but fantasy, which is both true, but also, like, the things that we talk about, that we complain about in space games, about how there isn't terrain, right? How there's too much ship customization. Like, you look at a fallen enchantress, um, and that has, like, unit customization that's kind of stupid and boring. Um, but, like, you can very easily have a fantasy strategy game with all the things that we've been talking about that don't really have that customization aspect and don't really need it. Mm. Uh, it's, like, these things that are very set in stone with space in part because of master of Orion uh, fantasy, the, the design of master of magic, how it dealt with the fantasy thing was a bit more generic. And I don't mean generic in like a bad way. I mean that it was something that anyone could adapt most right. parts of where if you're doing master of Orion, you're doing master of Orion. So I think there's just sort of like a mental concept because of the differences. Um, so like, you can argue that, like, you know, Endless Legend is a science fiction 4X that's planet-bound that's also got significant fantasy influences. Like, you could say that that is a thing that exists, that you would never say this is coming out of Mass of Orion, except that it came from Endless Space, which did. Um, whereas, you know, you can easily say there are parts of this that are very Master of Magic-like and parts mm -hmm. of this that are not Master of Magic-like because it's just, you know, that's just sort of the way that these games happen to exist. Yeah, I think that's an astute observation. I, I think I agree with you there in that most, most people are trying to recapture that genre of familiarity from the space games. And so even when you end up with one of these fantasy uh, games in, a, in, in the last decade or so, it looks more like the space games in the end. Um, really only, I think, like Heroes of Might and Magic 
was similar to this for a while. It's really not anymore, but right. um, Age of Wonders has maintained some of the spirit of this game for much longer. Age of Wonders, but there's basically like two incarnations of it 15 years apart. So that's right. uh, that's a bit more complicated. It's not like the the Heroes of Might and Magic where there's a new one every five years. Um, but that is... I don't know if I have actually anything to say about how this connects to Heroes. Troy, do you have anything? No, I know we have I, lots of Heroes opinions. I, uh, I not really have a lot of Heroes opinions. Nothing I want to say on this show, at least. Uh, it is... <laughs> I mean... I've always been more attracted to fantasy than I have to sci-fi. I don't think it's a secret that I'm more interested in like swords and wizards and laser guns. It's just who I am. I'm in a very cheery life. Uh, but I haven't found, even though I was never really deeply into Master of Magic, but think of the fantasy strategy games out there. There have not been a lot that have kind of appealed to I I, I did like Warlock uh, quite a bit. Uh, Warlock Master of the Arcade, even before you know I was officially employed yes. Paradox. There's the disclaimer: it's a Paradox game. Uh, Fallen Enchanted, the original Elemental was a disaster. Uh, Fallen Enchanted did help quite a bit, uh, but it still wasn't something. But it was still another one of these games where things would take forever. Uh, that's something else I took from the Master of Magic and Dominions, which I love. Is wow, was that something? Because yeah, you have you know, 50 different races and they have all these different... Are you just an early Ermor or is this a late Ermor? Because you know, <laughs> that kind of depends. Are they Romans or are they zombies? That really depends on whether you're taking the early version or the late version of the civilization. Uh, and I, I, I look at a lot of things. I mean, just like with, with sci-fi, all of these uh, general archetypes that people are are used to and you do in fantasy as well but people go into fantasy and they want to write their D campaign so you get these very specialized versions of the one of the great thing about magic is just how generic it is the generic is the strength to it it's not somebody trying to write their own version of magic uh it's just something you collect and then you go boom um <laughs> and i think there's kind of a uh i think in fantasy going laser one laser two laser three is a strength in sci-fi, it just seems like it's cheap, and I don't know why that is. Yeah, yeah. I th I think that um, you know I I'm with you. Especially, I would have been with you as a teenager. I became more science fiction oriented later. But like in theory, an ultimate fantasy strategy game is this fantasy is you know what I should love the most, right? Um, in practice, like it's almost always been the history ones, then the science fiction ones, and then the fantasy ones. And uh, I, some of that, I will say, is probably people trying to get out from under this idea of doing civilization but fantasy, which yeah. comes from Master of Magic in some ways, though not quite as strongly as Master of Orion. Um, but when you talk about the games that actually really work, like I liked Warlock a lot too, and Warlock's scope is just so much smaller. Warlock, mm. Warlock yeah. is basically a war game that looks like Civilization V, um, and that's great. Like It's a very fun little game, but it is a little game, and you would never say that Master of Magic is a little game. No. Um, like its size is one of its great weaknesses, I think. It's just too damn big. Yeah, but that's also one of the reasons we're 
talking right. about it still right, probably because because it did try and because it largely succeeded at most of the things that it was aiming for even if it was super messy um you know when i think about an unambiguous fantasy strategy game success with a lot of ambition that's basically total warhammer uh yeah. And even yeah. that, that's scratching a very different itch. You have, you know, the real-time battles. You have the the specific grand epic Lord of the Rings style scope as opposed to kind of the, you know, whatever scope you kind of want here. Um, You've got a very established brand. Yeah, and you have that established brand, two established brands, um, the Total and the Warhammer. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And th- it's the those generic things- flavor. I yeah. think is maybe what attracts me and makes me think about this game a lot um, is that no other fantasy strategy game has taken the time to be this much of a cipher where I can sort of project my own um, my own opinions and my own ideas about what the fantasy is like onto it in the way that you can with Master of Magic. Um, modern fantasy games are much more interested in building an IP and a brand for themselves mm. as opposed to being something that you can just take to play the game that you want to play with. I think that's a very good point. Did either of you try the caster of magic? I did. I liked it a lot and I would recommend it. If you're going to spend the seven, six dollars to play master of magic on steam or GOG or what have you go ahead and spend the three more dollars and support the, modder who spent the last 20 years upkeeping this game and get caster of magic because it does add a lot of value to the game what what does it add do you want to run through some of the big changes because there's a lot in here there's a lot in caster of magic um i was specifically the things that i liked a lot in caster of magic were um the customization for the wizards is easier to do and more extensive it's just better um and it's easier to understand um it gives you a good idea uh, of what those things are actually going to mean for the game you're playing when you sort of mm-hmm. right-click on them to get information. Um, there's a better diplomacy system. It's way more functional um, and easier to use. And there are a bunch of new units and spells. And I found, of course, that that's the attraction, right? Like, that's what you want. Um, and the AI knows how to use the spells and units and stuff a lot better in Caster of Magic. Yeah. And that that's, I think, the clutch if you want to be challenged and play this game and really get into it, that's sort of the clutch improvement is like the AI is going to know that it shouldn't waste magic points on fireballs when it needs to dispel your apocalypse spell or what have you. And then it's really, as a major overall of pretty much everything, the uh, rebalancing units, redoing the economy, uh, just shifting uh a little more focus in some places and less focus in others. It is really, really a masterwork. Um, it is still very much master of magic. It's not like a new game. It is. It is a very, very big patch. Yeah. That fixes. Oh, it has a, lot a production queue. You can queue yeah. units. That is the. I, I I totally forgot that that's part of that that uh, add on, and that is so important. Yeah, because otherwise, in, in Vanilla Master of Magic, uh, it just makes the same unit over and over again unless you tell it to stop. Which is fine if you're building housing, but not so great if it's just turning out settlers over and over again. Um, so that's not great. But yeah, so Caster of Magic really is a uh, phenomenal piece of work. Uh, the guy's name is Saravi, or Saravi. That's his code name, at least. 
Uh, he's a Castro Magic developer, and uh, congratulations, Guy. You did a fantastic job on this. Um, and it is something I would highly, highly recommend uh, for people to get into it, even to start with it. There's no reason to go back and play uh, Master of Magic when Caster is out here uh, fixing all the stuff. Um, it is, they're both, they both have manuals uh, on the uh, Slytherin launcher. I'll give you access with both manual of um, Caster Magic and uh, Master of Magic. The Caster Magic is a, it's a website, it's an HTML page, uh, but it is very, very long. And he goes into his design reasons as to why he made changes, which uh, like, for example, uh, Paladins have been majorly nerfed. He says, Paladins were immune to magic in Master of Magic, which makes no sense in a game that is about magic to have a major unit be immune to it. So he took that away. It's true. And, gave, and just very good justification for all of his changes all the way through. Uh, so if you want to see how people think about uh, why they've made these changes, it's really an outstanding design doc as well as a manual. Uh, any final words? I think this is an interesting game. Um, I didn't... I didn't remember it having as as many unique, weird, and worthwhile design elements as it does. And I think this is a great this game as as a as a whole is a really interesting set of lessons for people looking at designing strategy games nowadays. Ron, I wish that I had more to do with the early exploration phase than just watch my units die. Man, me too. <laughs> That, that's all I got. I did not get as deep into replaying it as all y'all, but yes, this is this is a fascinating game that has a few very bad aspects to it, but mostly is at the very least interesting and at some level uh, mostly deserving of its reputation as a classic. It is certainly a game if you're interested in history strategy and you should go back and play. Uh, it is a lot to recommend it, and you can see uh, its influences in a few places. Um, and if you're more familiar with its uh, cousins in that era, uh, give us a shot. It's a very affordable right now. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Um, we have a producer whose name is escaping me because I am tired and uh, very exhausted. But this show is being produced by somebody. Uh, it is also supported on Patreon by listeners just like you. And you uh, are somebody's listeners. You're all somebody's. Uh, uh, you can check out uh, our Patreon at patreon.com slash 3MA, just spelt like it sounds, 3MA. So go, go on Patreon and support us. Uh, like I said, I hope we'll have more shows coming to you this month and that everything will be okay. Uh, stay, <laughs> s stay safe, uh, stay secure, and keep playing strategy games. Wash your hands. Rowan and John, and wash your hands. For Rowan and John, this is Troy Goodfellow saying goodnight.